0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson. Hey. And we're back. Um, I Is this the first podcast of the new year? Maybe. Yeah, I think it is technically the first podcast of the new year. Uh, and we're going to be talking about parenting. We're doing parenting part two. We, we did part one a couple weeks ago. Um, didn't finish, uh, kind of talk about everything that we felt necessary. So, um, we're going to do part two and we're honestly just going to get started with a question that was sent in, uh, from a listener in Switzerland, uh, which is pretty cool. I didn't know people were listening to us in Switzerland, but yeah. huge worldwide audience. His, um, his
1: English is better than most of ours.
0: That's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's it. That's okay. I wondered, is that a guy name? That's a guy. Name. Alanis, right? Yeah. I no Alanis. I, I don't know. Okay. Well, Alana sent this question. It says, hello guys. Thank you for another interesting podcast episode. I was wondering if you could talk more specifically about not making the child the center of your life, but still ensuring they get get their needs met and don't feel neglected. Personally, I suffered under the boring adult activities and the emotional neglect in my childhood because my parents would rarely consider my wishes slash needs as a child. How can I find a good middle ground? Well, raising my own children. And, and this is obviously kind of the premise of the entire podcast, a lot of what we talked about last time, but we're going to start with trying to answer this question and then get into some of the more, some more things that we want to talk about developmental at each developmental stage, um, yeah. for children, how you should, how you should parent. But Nick, you want to take this question and, and run? Yeah, no,
1: it. I think that this is a good intro to what we're going to talk about today in terms of developmental stages, because, um, Part of the issue of children's needs and children getting their needs met is very specific to the stages of their development. And so sometimes parents behave as though the bonding stage is ages zero through 27 years old. And the, the profound bonding stage that will affect whether or not kids have attachment disorders and stuff like that is like zero to two. So, so one of the things to focus now, obviously there can be things that happen literally after two that can affect a child's bonding, whatever, but the main, the main focus of a child coming into the world and recognizing that they're cared for, their needs are going to be met, they're loved, um, is that, is that zero to two. Okay. And so we're in a profound relationship of service to our children in that time. And, um, usually, especially, especially women, because their bodies are more closely bonded to the children themselves. They're, they're the only one doing the parenting for the first nine months of the child's life inside the womb and then then there's nursing and other things related to that. So um, so part of it is like when we're talking about getting our our kids getting their needs met or, or not being so child uncentered that it's harming the child in terms of their wishes in terms of their needs. Um, That has to do with having a good idea, understanding of what life stage development, what kids need at different ages. Now, there is the issue of like, um, this person referred to boring adult activities and their wishes as a child. That's in some sense a different conversation about who's responsible to entertain whom. One of the reasons why this is a bigger issue now is because we have way fewer children. Mm -hmm. So one thing I would encourage people to do is just have more children. And if you teach them some of the things that, we'll talk about and that um, we'll talk about in some of the books I'll mention. um, You won't have this problem because kids will play with each other and do things and learn and they'll learn to entertain themselves and so on in ways that um, they won't feel so bored. They will have the kind of personal initiative to do things that are interesting and so on. But if you have like an only child and then the parents don't pay attention to that child, or if there's five or six years between children and parents don't pay any attention to those children, um, there's a problem and we partly don't teach our children to play with each other as much because they're diverted mostly by screens. Mm -hmm. And so I think addressing the issue of screens that they're basically 10 times more damaging than anybody thinks they are and that they destroy these basic realities. But also it's just like, you gotta have more children Mm -hmm. and closer together. Um, Otherwise, otherwise children are naturally going to be looking to you to entertain them or make their lives happy or so on. Right. Yeah. And then also allowing them to to like go to other people's houses and like having friendships with other parents that parent somewhat similarly to you so that your kids have friends and they can go play with their friends and creating that that relational network of shared parenting so that parenting is um is a lighter load and more enjoyable. You know. And you know, yeah. each of those things is like a whole nother podcast, right? But those yeah. are some of the areas that I would explore with somebody if I was talking to this person for like an hour.
0: Yeah, I think the probably the most important thing not the, I don't know, you can't rank them but like having more kids than just one or two. Like a lot of people that I knew growing up who were just single, you know, they they were the single kid in, in their home. They they had like a certain level of like narcissism about them. And obviously, they, their parents were mostly like helicopter parents, but they were like they felt the world revolved around them and I felt like if they had maybe two or three other siblings, they probably would have been more fun mm-hmm. to hang out with and things. So that yeah. that is interesting. I mean we, we Andrew yeah. and I were I don't to have think like that that's necessary. Ten.
1: I don't think that's necessary for an only child. Like my dad was an only child and he mm. was the opposite of a narcissist. I mean this he was incredibly other centered and a servant hearted guy and very understandable well, feelings in ways that I didn't He grew up in a expected. different time. Oh yeah. Right? Absolutely. I mean yeah, yeah he yeah, probably his, had more
0: he, adversity he had de- that he had to go through.
1: He had depression era parents. Um but in yeah. but he lived you know, he lived a very outdoor-based lifestyle, both in his childhood and in his How old was adulthood? he when they, had,
0: when they had you? He was
1: 35. Wow. Because my mom was 40. So, There's about a five-year difference between them.
0: Wow. Your mom was 40? Yeah. Yeah, I was a 40, wow. 40 baby. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but That's... my mom, she immigrated. There were some things that kept her from like forming a family in a number of situations. Yeah. And she yeah. just didn't find a, a suitable person to marry till later on. You
0: know? Yeah. Well, so
1: once you got married, but they, well, after they got married, they still waited like three years to have children, Yeah, which yeah. I did not, I don't understand that choice. Um, I mean, as a person who exists, I'm glad for the sperm and egg that came together to make <laughs> me. Cause you know, I mean, yeah. but that does yeah. seem, seem strange. Uh, I think if you get married younger, having a little bit of time where it's just the yeah. two of you can be really good.
0: I, I don't agree with that. I, I, I don't agree with you there. No, I, I we didn't do that. I, I don't agree with you. I, I think, and one thing that might be good and a question I had that maybe you should touch on that I've been ex- recognizing a lot is uh, in the church, in, in our church and in churches everywhere mm-hmm. is women, uh, who, you know, younger women in their 20s who are married and, to their husbands. They're both 20, 25, 26, 27, mm-hmm. 23, 24. Um, they... The women, they really want to have kids. The wife really wants to have kids. And the husbands are making w- way more than, I mean, the family is making enough money. They're all, you know, college educated or whatever, and they have really good jobs. Mm-hmm. And the wife wants to have kids. And the husband says no for years. She just says, no, no, we're not having kids. No, we're not having kids. I just, I've been seeing this all the time. I, I, My argument is, I think that this is probably somewhat immoral. And, and, the, and here's why. Because I think that a, a woman's desire to have kids biblically is is shows that she's progressing towards godliness, I think, if she's doing it for the right reasons, which if we're supposed to see people in good faith, then I would say a lot of these women want to have kids because they want to do the right thing. Yeah, And if your husband is saying, no, 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 and you're financially stable, you have everything you, you, you could possibly need, and you just keep saying, no, 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 no. I kind of want to just like punch these guys in the face or something. Cause you have, some, you have your wife is saying, I want to have your kids. And they're saying no, and this is happening a lot. But what, what would you say about that? I think Andy,
1: I want to play the host and be like, I think that is like a whole podcast. Like the, the whole, <laughs> like why we do and don't have children. When is the right time? What are the right motivations? We'll do Why, a podcast, why are men afraid to have children? Why are women afraid to have children? I, I, I think one of the things we're trying to deal with in this podcast is some men and women are afraid to have children because they feel compelled to use parenting models that they know are going to make them miserable. There's, I, I've met a lot of young people today <laughs> That's that they say they don't want to have children. And when I really press them, the, the reason they don't want to have children is because of how miserable their parents seemed raising them. Oh. And that their parents oftentimes wow. got divorced or separated or whatever because their yeah. marriage was terrible. and. That those kids understood, even though their parents would never admit it, that a good good part of the reason their, mar- their marriage was terrible was because of the way they had chosen to parent. They had made yeah. parenting the greatest trial of their life by the, by the philosophy of their parenting, which was yeah. built on a psychologically false and anti-human anthropology of what a human being and therefore a human child is. And so yeah. they made parenting horrible. They made their kids into difficult people to lead. They had a terrible yeah. time leading them and it ruined their enjoyment of their life, both their marriage yeah. and their parenting, which are supposed to be the great joys of your life. And so right. they watched that. They don't want that. I can't tell you how many people um, are just like, I don't want to get married because all the marriages I saw were miserable. The reason they were miserable yeah. was a, in a large part because of the way they parented. And yeah. secondly, they don't have kids because they saw how miserable their parents were as parents. Right. And then they look around at their peers and see how miserable their peers are in how they parent. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's any wonder they don't want to have children. I mean, I don't think I would have had children if I didn't believe I must.
0: Yeah. If yeah, I didn't believe that it, was, that. it
1: was in accordance to nature, I don't know that I would have had children. Because I wouldn't have believed or... so much in the good of children that in my mind it would have overcome the liabilities of having children. Especially when you're in a culture that's that where children are taught to hate and despise their parents rather than revere them. Like if you give up as much as you give up to have a child and raise a child and have that kid turn around and spit in your face and say, you raised me. You have a stupid philosophy. You're not good enough. You're like, look, it was good enough for you to exist. You know what I mean? Like, And and that happens with a lot of children, uh, sometimes for a long period of time. And who wants that? Who wants to give up the equivalent of a couple million dollars to raise some (laughs) kid who's going to grow up and tell you you're not good enough?
0: Yeah. Screw that. No, I mean, yeah. The,
1: so like, yeah. I listen, I get that philosophy. But one of the reasons why I think Christian faith is so important is because it is the direction of God and the hope that God gives mm-hmm. in even natural things that gives me the courage to do them and then to figure yeah. out how to do them well.
0: So, okay. Yeah. And we, we could do a full podcast on that. Let's move in. I, I, the, the first points that you have written down on this prep sheet is some key parenting ideas. Most safety slash develop questions are trade-offs and uh, trade-offs and men and women will naturally slightly di- disagree and the first ones that you've written down is trauma avoidance versus building resilience that's obviously a big one like i assume the mother is is m- more prone to be trauma resilient uh, avoidant and yeah. the man is more prone to be to try to build resilience and right. this is an interesting question how do you how do you Maybe even before getting into the specific ones, how do you even approach those conversations as a married couple? Because I think that those can start really big arguments, like if if, because they're totally different ideas of how the kid should develop. And you're both super emotionally attached to this kid. And you both think that what you're doing is your way is going to help this kid become. A great kid so how do you even approach out of married couples when they just had a baby and maybe the baby's like i don't know a couple years old now they're starting to do some things on their own how do yeah. you have that well you should have had that while you were dating or something but how do you have that conversation
1: yeah i mean how i think this is that? one
0: of the reasons why why optives work
1: with Aunt, with annalise about with her her podcast um Feminine, not feminist. I mean, we may need to make like a masculine, not masculinist or like not toxic, <laughs> not toxic masculinity yeah. podcast. Because yeah. one of the first steps here is to believe in and embrace the difference between men and women. Hmm. That they're, they're, that men, are because of their position, because of all kinds of details that are hard to put all together in one monologue, they see things differently. But they tend to, to see the world outside of the family. They tend hmm. to see it in a political nature rather than an organically, communally connected nature. And they mm. know that they've got to prepare their kid for the world and that the world isn't easy. Now, sometimes it's because the husband's going out there and working and fighting the battles and doing stuff like that. And they know how tough it is to succeed. Men often yeah. engage with and enjoy and seek out a competitive context, which is one, one of the reasons why men often make more money than women. They, they like the competition, whereas women often find it attacking. And mm. yet, when they turn around and they look at their kid, they're like, my kid has to be ready for this level of competition. My kid's entering a a, a world that's kind of cutthroat and difficult. And my kid can't behave like that out there in the world and so on. And so men think about different things than women often do who are focused on like nurturing and bringing out uh, like the inherent capacity of the child and making sure that the child is nurtured enough so that they they have the freedom to like grow and develop and observe things in ways that aren't anxious and so on. And that's really good too. So I think if a couple can start with the differences between men and women and what they Mm -hmm. normally are, Mm -hmm. like – in terms of distributions, and then assess the differences between them as the particular man and woman they are, because that may not be exactly the same as what's, quote, normal. Mm. Figure out where they're at, and then begin to interact recognizing that womanhood is good and manhood is good. Masculinity is good and femininity is good. The feminine perspective sees things that the masculine doesn't values them differently and, and vice versa. If you come with a sense that there's something good about both of you, you could begin to work your way through these. And generally speaking, you can find a way to compromise or order your life in relationship to them. Yeah, you, Like sometimes the dad just has to say, I just feel like we're babying him. I just mm-hmm. – I feel like we always make excuses for his behavior rather than discipline him in relationship to his behavior. Mm-hmm. Some way he's got to learn some responsibility for what he does. Or he can carry yeah. his plate to the sink, right? Okay. Give him Well, it'll, he'll drop it. It'll break. Well, let's get him a plastic plate and he can carry it to the sink.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Um, This comes down a little bit
0: to uh, the ability to for 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 men and women to make decisions. I mean, I think a lot of times in these situations, the man will kind of pass the decision on to the wife and even vice versa in this current society. And I think that, yeah, it's important to develop. I don't know how you develop this, but develop the ability to. Make, I've even, I've even recognized certain things like with our, we've had Titus for about uh, actually a month now. And he's, he's only a month old, but like, there's already decisions that I'm like, is this decision going to affect his development or like, yeah. is he going to get like screwed because of this? And, and like that, like, but at the end of the day, I don't, the one is the answer. I have, don't know. I have no idea how my, our decisions are going to affect him. Obviously yeah. like, like, the vast majority of them like whether he sits in there and cries for an extra five minutes while I am doing something, you know, is that going to mean that he's feels neglected? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But like I had to just make a decision and kind of roll with it and, and, and be okay with whatever the outcome is. And I think a lot of Pete millennials and Gen Z's become paralyzed in those decisions. They become paralyzed in a decision like this. Do you let the kid, do you let the kid go outside and get hurt and, and fall down and knock his head on whatever, or, Do you keep them inside, play video games all day? And, you know, that's the decision where I feel paralyzed. I I
1: mean, I I understand that for especially Gen Z and millennials because there's no sense of the norm being different anymore than psychological problems being normal. So I remember a time when, like, I went to school. I'm 46. I'll be 46 this year. I'm 45. I remember a time when I went to school where one kid in a classroom – would have an emotional problem that was significant or psychological problem that was significant. And most of the kids were fine. And, oh, totally, yeah. and that's not the case anymore. No at all. And so I remember a time where like, you know, you could raise a kid and the kid be fine. And it wasn't magic, but well, now well, see, like now Gen Z has when, grown up where like everybody they know is messed up. Yeah. And so how well, can you possibly you were... raise a healthy child when 85% of kids seem to have major problems?
0: I'm wondering what the difference is between when you say that there was one kid that was messed up, like when I was in kindergarten, there was one kid that was messed up and she was like throwing chairs and like punching the teacher. Is that what you're talking about too?
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously there's levels, you know, there's like, there's, there's going to be a kid or two. I mean, like when I, when I went to school, there were like maybe four or five kids in my grade. that, that had, had major problems that made it so they, they it was very hard for them to function yeah and then there okay. was like a lot of plenty of kids that had like ADD and like i have ADD, yeah, right like you know they just got like yeah. stuff that like it's work you can live and we use workable and it can't be an excuse yeah. for you to be a complete idiot um yeah. but you might need some help you know um and yeah. then their kids are fine just they're just fine you know and some kids are fine and they're not that bright and some kids are fine and they're bright and
0: people are different yeah. you know um, so how but, do you make this how do you do how do you not i was terrible? talking to a mom for example
1: say- i was talking to a mom yesterday in a counseling session and she said that her youngest child By the time he went to high school, and so he's probably 22 now, He, when he was a senior, he didn't, all of his main friends were not heterosexual. They were non-binary or something more LGBT aggressive, like every single one. Now, I don't know how he got that group of friends. I'm sure that wasn't true for his whole class. It was like his immediate group of friends. But like, this is a kid that went to a conservative church. He's a Christian. He was seeking Christian fellowship. And yet all the people he hung out with in high school, the main friends he had were all Non binary or something because they'd all label themselves, whatever. And you're like, yeah this is, you know, and then you're like, okay, well, I'll raise a child. And you're like, how could I possibly? Re-? And then there's a whole e- e- thing where you know screens are bad for your kids. And, and then who, they give and, it to them, anyways. Right, right. Because who wants to fight that battle? It's like the never ending battle.
2: Right? Yeah, man. Because right I now, there,
1: there isn't a lot of parental momentum around really, truly restricting kids' phones. Our parents will like nod their heads and go, yeah, we probably shouldn't let them sit in front of screens. And then they all just do because yeah, we're all lazy and we don't want to fight and we just get tired. That's we just get problem. worn down in 20 seconds. Yeah. And so the result is, of course they're terrified. Of course they're terrified. Right.
0: I, yeah. Doesn't okay. H- how do you, how do you not get that? <laughs> how do you, how do you, I, I feel like I've actually done a good job of not being that way. I don't, I don't know if you yeah, agree about it because I, no, I, oh no, I, yeah, for, for at least one month. I, but but I mean, in the sense that, like, I, I just I, and and also part of this is like, you know, I took Doctor Jordan Peterson's personality test, and I am I'm like zeroth percentile in empathy. So that plays into this as well. Yeah. I feel like it's so really you're doing easy well, just yeah. to, everybody around you isn't. Everybody else is like suffering. Um, how do you how can you build that resilience within the parents? I've seen it in people that I know, people in my family. It'd be like, nope, you can't watch TV. No, you can't watch TV. And then like the third or fourth time the kid asks, it's like, fine, go watch TV. Right. And it's like, what? W- uh, yeah. One, that's ridiculous. If that's how easy it is. Then that's crazy. But two, what's that gonna, what second are parents not thinking about what the long term effects of, of these things are? I don't know. What, what, like, we, yes. all these parents say how much they yeah. love their children. And yeah, I'm like, it's I, a little bit I, like, I doubt it.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit like smoking. It's like everybody knew it was bad for you, but nobody really wanted to know how bad. And because nobody really wanted to know how bad, they were able to (laughs) not do anything about it for a long time. And I think it's like that. Um, There's 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 so much research and writing out now that it's really hard to be ignorant of it. But Mm -hmm. the all all of our psychological research. So here's the problem: all of the tech companies are using all of the available psychological research to make everything they do addictive, to change your desires, your personality, how you function, how you use time, what you're addicted to. And we are not using all the available psychological literature that would tell us how to resist and escape all of that. And so basically, this is a classic, like it's so funny when I talk to progressive people and they're not exercised about this because literally the tech companies are quote believing the science and we aren't. (laughs) Right? Yeah. We're like anti-vaxxers when it comes to the phones.
0: Well, do you think that for Christians, though, it's it, I, I would argue it's more important that, that I think the 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 way you build up a resilience against all of that psychological stuff that those tech companies are using against us is learning how to be disciplined in Scripture, learning how to be a godly, disciplined person in following what Christ teaches, I think will ultimately lead to you kind of not really caring about things like social media as much. Right. Like, like it's not necessarily like to follow. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm, nervous about saying, oh, go follow the psychology because it'll actually tell you how to become resilient against this. I think it's just like, go read your Bible. Like the vast majority of people that I know yeah. who are these people who probably are going to be these parents that we're talking about, they don't read their Bible. Like, they don't understand the Bible. They just don't read Jesus' words. They don't care about what he has to say about stuff. Well, it's part, um, I think part of that, Andy, is that
1: people understand a few effects of digital technologies and social media technologies and news technologies. But they don't understand them on their deeper um, – the way those technologies develop our psychology. And they, they understand like a, like a yeah. cursory understanding of like dopamine hits. But they don't understand how like – the algorithms actually designed to change your desires, like fundamentally change your desires so that you want different things. And those right. that if, are, if you're already weak enough that can be consumed. And if, if your desires are being changed to things you can consume, they're by definition being moved away from things you can't consume as a customer like God truth yeah yeah, yeah. Spirituality, yeah, 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 yeah. relationship yeah. and those sorts of things yeah and, and, yeah. and we, like we have no we we still have these like super shallow ideas of how these things change us like they take our attention they make us a little bit more distracted yeah. they give us dopamine hits but it's yeah. it's yeah. deeper than that once you get enough dopamine hits off of your phone it's hard to get them anymore when your wife smiles at you because uh-huh. because dopamine is designed in your brain emotionally to function in a very subtle way Cause you were designed for a non-screen world. So you were designed to be such that you love your wife and then your wife smiles at you and says, hi yeah. honey. Yeah. And that subtle thing would trigger some dopamine in your system as part of your happiness. Right. It, it, it like there's yeah. a hormonal effect of happiness. The problem is, is that like, if you do all these like screen based intensified totally, almost yeah. addictive behaviors you're what you're doing is you're making it so that you can't have those natural dopamine experiences like where you're just happy with normal stuff so you become yeah. so normal stuff doesn't do it for you you have to have the drug and only your phone can do yeah. that right so it's incredibly dehumanizing it isn't just focus you on your phone it takes away the joy and experience so like your kid goes to church and hates it because yeah. they, they get no dopamine hit from seeing their friends, they get they get nothing from other adults approving from of here it, in the past or whatever. All of, yeah, yeah, they get no for like intellectual insights that you have to take some time to think and feel a certain about a pride that you're following. All those yeah. like deeper and more basic and more subtle human pleasures, you're incapable of physiologically responding to them. So it just everything uh-huh. seems boring to you, not because it is, but because you're on drugs. Like you've you've turned your internal system of hormones into a drug based system that has made you incapable yeah. of taking in the dynamic realities yeah. of life around you, and so you have no taste or or love or verb for life anymore.
0: It's yeah. Literally. So anyway, um, this is I a- could take that system. yeah in a lot of different directions because that. So do you want to get to do like a podcast on social media? Do you want to get to yes. stuff? Yes. I just wanted to really quick ask about what we're talking about, like trauma avoidance and being re- resilient, yeah. and outdoor versus indoor yeah, screens so th- versus nature. I think nature. the important
1: idea here is is that this is this is a, a trade off, and the two are deeply interrelated because trauma, whether or not anything traumatizes you, is in large part related to how resilient you are.
0: Right. And let's just be I'm a stickler about this, but be 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 define what you mean by trauma, because people my age are listening to this and they don't know what that means.
1: Trauma is an enduring harm internalized from some event. So if I see somebody hit by a car. And that memory like jars and does something to me really profound. Right. Yeah. Such that later on, other things I'll like see a car drive by too fast and I will yeah. like be short of breath. I'll start to have a panic yeah. attack. Yeah. Right. That is dissociative trauma. That is, I've, I've like kind of stored that problem that it didn't get reintegrated in me somewhere else yeah. and it keeps coming up. And so, trauma is like a harm done to you psychologically. That you have stored rather than integrated into your psyche so that it functions independently to interfere with your mental capacities and emotional and yeah. physical responses. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that, that trauma, um, which could be developmental, it could be event-oriented, it could be a lot of different things can cause it, is partly related to your resiliency. Now, some of your resiliency is going to be related to your temperament. Highly sensitive people are going to be more easily traumatized. You've heard me talk about this before. That, like in the in the, in the late early nineteen seventies, they did studies on PTSD uh, from yeah. Vietnam veterans, and homosexual men tended to be have much worse PTSD for some reason. And the reason wasn't because they liked to have sex with men or they were sexually attracted to men. It tended to be because a significant portion of homosexual men yeah. had highly sensitive yeah. temperaments. And because they had highly sensitive temperaments, the, the horrors of war affected them with much more intense levels of PTSD. And so they're also, they were, te- they were temperamentally unsuited for war, but that also made them more likely to identify or be gay. And so, so the two tended to go together because the temperament was more sensitive. So some children, I'd feel
0: like they were probably more more their father if their fathers were incredibly masculine, because they're more sensitive. Their probably fathers probably had le- maybe had less empathy and maybe, were but the, what the study was than, focused no, on was it was on PTSD on, on, on from war tours and, PTSD, and
1: combat yeah, right. in Vietnam. In,
2: in so in these Vietnam, are people yeah.
1: who are experiencing something very similar, and who was mm-hmm. getting PTSD and how intense was that PTSD? And among yeah, yeah, a certain yeah. subset of homosexual men, it was higher, right? And so, yeah. with, and they thought that wasn't just because like if you're gay, you're more prone to it. It's because it's because gay people. Have a higher likelihood distributionally of being highly sensitive. So if you have so hmm. if you have a highly sensitive child, it's much more easy that that child is easier traumatized or to experience trauma because they take things in more powerfully. Does that make sense? Now, yeah. However, however, re- emotional resiliency is something that it can be built, and so and it's and a Nick, muscle I think you can learn important. to flex too, and it's something right. you can I- it for.
0: Right. Uh, and, and I think I'm going to say this, I, it doesn't, no person's temper temperament is an excuse for them to sin either. Like homosexuality, like, even though that that's the case where people tend to go that way, if they have, if, if they have, you know, according to these studies, that doesn't mean that it's good or okay. I mean, that's wrong. Like sin, sin is wrong. Homosexuality only, is the wrong. The
1: only point I'm making in what I said there is yeah. that I think it is true. And this has been my, my personal experience that when I meet homosexual men in particular, some portion of them tend to have highly sensitive personalities and it's disproportionate. It's more than normal. Right. And if you take that man and you put him in war where people are getting blown apart, the likelihood of that having a more intense traumatizing effect I think is higher. I'm not saying that like gay men shouldn't be able to be in the military or whatever. I think maybe there should be some psychological diagnostics for everybody to see if their temperament is suited to war, which I don't think is being done. But I do think yeah. that that can be talked about. The point, the point I'm making is this, the is this, is that we all have different levels of emotional sensitivity relative to our temperament. However, yeah. resiliency can be built and can be parented for.
0: Generally in speaking, all temperaments, right? And, and no in all temperaments. Who,
1: and in some ways, yeah. it's even more important to do it with sensitive children. But you yeah. have to be more careful in how you do it with sensitive children. So yeah, s- be, some little yeah. boy, you might go out into the yard when they're three and start throwing the ball back and forth and you might use like a tennis ball. And, but if you have a little bit more sensitive child, you might start with like a like a sponge ball and throw that yeah. back and forth for a little while and then move up to a tennis ball.
0: You know, like how I had, can you figure that out?
1: If you just if you you observe your child and yeah. observe how okay. they seem to be feeling and how scared they are because you want them scared enough that they get a little bit of a scared buzz and they're dealing with it, but not so much this terrifying. And for a lot of kids, yeah. it's, it's a rush to be, to be a little bit afraid. Yeah. It's a rush. And then, then and then experience. So I was at the gym last night with my 10 year old daughter. We started going to the gym two nights a week to try to get them off screens more by, by literally substituting it with something else. Right. So we went into the boxing section of the gym and there's a, a knotted rope that you can climb up to the 40 foot ceiling. Right. What gym and, are you talking about? Is at Harbor Athletic Club?
0: Oh, I didn't know they box. And
1: so I, so I pulled out the rope. I don't think I was supposed to, but nobody stopped me. And so she, yeah. I said, "Why don't you climb it?" And so she climbed up a ways. And I was like, I was like, and and my wife came back and she's and you could tell my wife was afraid uh, for her being up there. And of course that made it more exciting for my daughter that that mom yeah, was yeah, watching yeah. me. She's afraid, <laughs> but I feel like I'm in control. Yeah. And then I said yeah. to her, I said, and then and Lexi was like, "He probably shouldn't go any higher." And I was like, "Lena, you should probably go up one more just to make mom look crazy." because i could tell she was enjoying it but then she said i don't want to and you see in this context i was like don't push she's having fun she's getting the rush of fear she's doing something that's a step beyond what she was doing yeah, yeah. she's building her resiliency don't yeah. make it don't make it ugly don't show my your disapproval yeah, yeah. that she was right so i was like oh they come back down you know now as a yeah. man my instinct was to push her a little further yeah and so as a man, what I have to learn is to not do that when she's already pushed herself some and we're making yeah. progress. Slow down and hang with the process and try to be developmentally appropriate because men will will try to make their 10-year-old do what a 12-year-old should do because we want them to get ahead.
0: Okay, but okay, okay.
1: Women, yeah, often, but, but, women often will think that the 8-year-old can only take what a 6-year-old can do. Because they'll they'll yeah. often trail behind what's developmentally appropriate right. Right. and possible. And that's why the man and woman have to interact and say, well, can we yeah. work on this kid to do? And then, I, like, I've had conversations with Alexi where we have debated, like, what should we have our kid do? Like, what's developmentally appropriate? What would push them but not dishonor their developmental status? Yes. And, like, sometimes we brainstorm for longer than I would have liked to. But we came up with five or six ideas. We set them in successive order. And we started trying our way through them until the kids seemed to hit a wall. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, okay, that's where they are. You know what I mean?
0: Um, okay. Two, two things I thought of. One was when you are talking about uh, being able to de- deal with fear, like kids being able to de- deal with, with fear and and kind of super sensitive kids will have a more difficult time dealing with traumatic situations. Uh, um, well, Titus is sleeping. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we'll, we'll be like loud. Like we're always loud. You know, I'm always loud. And so he can sleep through like anything, which is great. Yeah. But, um, sometimes we're watching Indiana Jones, and he's sleeping on the couch, um, yeah. and he's in his little. Th- Thing that keeps him from falling off the couch for people who Mm -hmm. think I'm a terrible parent, but um, the the Indiana Jones could get loud sometimes, and so you know at one point it it got loud and like Titus he was sleeping and he would like he would like go like this like like open (laughs) open, like kind of like throw his hands up like he was scared, and then like two seconds later he would go right back to bed. So maybe that's a good sign. Maybe that's him just processing (laughs) that, dealing with it, and going right back to bed. He's a really resilient kid. But I thought you got to remember one
1: of the things I did not think about enough when I was a young parent was kids aren't just not mentally capable when they're first born they're trying to learn an infinitely complex language of which they know no syllables yet like every that's just crazy literally billions of things that they have to make sense of and they're like they've got some instincts but they don't know what things are like try try learning a language when you literally don't know any languages
0: yeah 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 well you you can't try that it's
1: bewildering
0: you know what i mean babies
1: are (laughs) in this double bewildering situation where they don't have fully developed minds at all
2: yeah and they have
1: very little information and so you do really have to be patient with them and and try to stay developmentally where you're but but yeah pushing your kids so like rough and tumble play early even before your kid is walking you can lay down next to them and like like, you know, push them a little bit, like kindly, yeah, like, yeah. like, but you want to make them laugh. The point is they're having fun. Yeah. They're laughing. Yeah. Right. And then as soon as they can walk, you're kind of like tackling them in a way where like they don't fall or you don't hit them. Like you're holding them kind of up, but they're rolling and they're like not in control, but they're safe. They're not in control, but they're safe. Like even a baby, when you're just tossing them up a little bit and catching them and the mom's yeah. like, oh, you're making me, you're making me nervous. But the baby, yeah. the baby's like laughing, right? That tossing yeah, yeah. up and catching of a baby if you are athletically capable of doing it well, otherwise do it over a couch cushion or something, you know, but like, like I'm not in control. What's happening. Oh, I'm safe. Oh, I'm not in control. What's happening. Oh, I'm safe. Like I knew, I know parents. In fact, we did this with, with our last three children. Um, When they would fall down and look like they were about to cry, we would clap. We would be like, woo. Like what, like they're getting up and they haven't cried yet. And they're like, what's the right response? I kind of want to cry. And but they haven't cried and then we would like clap. Oh. We'd be like, Nice job, way to take that fall. And then if they'd get a boo boo and they'd cry, we'd show sympathy. We'd say, Oh, sweetie. Yeah. yeah. Right. But we'd go, yeah. That's a great boo boo. Like, way yeah. to get that boo boo. Like it was like a yeah. trophy, you know? And so we showed sympathy. That's good. Yeah. That's good. You know, yeah. you want to show sympathy and that's kind yeah. of this dynamic of like security. But it's
0: incur It's encouraging. It's not like a crippling sympathy. I mean, there's different right. types of, there's an encouraging sympathy, sympathy, I think like what right. you just described. And then there's an just crippling. Oh, you, you got a boo-boo. You, we need to, you know, like amputate your arm or something like that. I mean, that's some parents are yes. like crazy about it. And yeah, some yeah, parents
1: feel that showing, showing sympathy for a young child's boo-boo. <laughs> That the more hysterical they become about the injury, the more loving well, they're being. And that's oh, not gosh. true. You want a proportionate response to the injury. Sometimes, what does Jordan
0: Peterson call that? He says it's like narcissistic uh, compassion.
1: Yeah. I mean, I suppose that's, that could be a form of narcissistic compassion. So, somewhere. anyway, yeah. So, so, do you want to get into the developmental pointers? This is in the page. Should we, yeah, how should we parent number two? How about halfway yes. down? So, um,
0: some parenting standards.
1: There's a there's about halfway down it says development. Oh, duh, pointers. duh. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yep. Okay, okay. So, so in here you have written the ultimate goal is a good citizen of human society, right. uh, a good unleashed, uh, yeah, unleashed, into the world. Good
1: unleashed into the world. Yeah,
0: um, what also godliness, Christianity. Yeah.
1: No, so under that I say think citizen of heaven. Or a town, okay. or, or a, a town. good friend group, or a family. Okay. So, like, imagine okay. a good group of people, yeah, living together and receiving a new human being into it. Yeah, what yeah. sort of human being should they be receiving? Would they want to be receiving right? it? And this—that's similar to how Jordan Peterson talks in his chapter about parenting. Mm-hmm. Don't let your child do what, you, what makes you not like them. Like you—you yeah. are preparing a child for a, so, a social context that you're going to give them to, and if you can give them well into that social context, your child is going to do well. Right. Yeah, if yeah. you think about just your child and how they feel about themselves,
0: yeah, and
1: you focus on what we sometimes call self-esteem, este- self but we might call false self-esteem, yeah, then what happens is is that you you tend to mess them up, and that they're they they become antisocial, so, or they're just so- socially incapable.
0: So I have a question about I, f- I forgot to ask, but about when you were talking about pushing kids farther than they can go. Mm-hmm. Put, you know, If you would have told, told your youngest daughter to climb a little bit higher, she would have just not enjoyed it and it would have ruined the whole moment. Um, yeah. It, okay, yeah. all of the successful people that I know, like the very successful people, I, I would assume you probably put yourself in this category. At some point or another was pushed to the past the limit that they yes. felt they were capable of going. And, and yes. I felt that in my life, in sports, in business, whatever it is, yeah. you, that there's, there's this limit where you're like, okay, I can go here. But if I want to be something more than what everybody else is, I need to be at the 12 year old developmental stage when I'm 10 years mm-hmm. old. You know what I mean? But i obviously that's, the, there's, there's, I, I, you can see parents trying to live that through their kid because maybe your kid doesn't want to be like Michael Jordan. Maybe they just want to be like an engineer who makes who. Yeah. you know what I mean. They they just want to be a regular guy or a regular girl. You have to let the kid have that drive. But my question is, yeah. can, is there any point in which you can actually start to be like, no, you can you can go further, you can do more. Yeah. Okay, I would split that up into
1: two parenting decisions. So, like, there's the parenting decision of do I get my daughter started on violin early so that she can, like, play concertos when she's seven and be first violin at
0: this at Yale? And I'm wondering this stuff. Yeah, like piano and, yeah, things like that. Let me give
1: you another example. You're at the pool with your kid, and your kid is, say, four years old. Yeah. And you say to your kid, they have goggles that they've just learned to put on. Okay, listen. I know you want to play the game where we bounce around the pool and we do blah, 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 blah. But if you, if you, if we're gonna do that, you have to go underwater four times. And they don't want to go underwater four times. They don't like that. And you can say this time you can hold your nose too. You can plug your nose, but you have to go underwater four times, or we're not going out to play the game. And they're terrified and they don't want to do it. Right. And then when they're yeah. five, when they're like four and a half, it's like, you got to swim underwater to me, two feet. I'm going to hold my hands out, you got to put your head underwater, you gotta swim underwater to me two two feet and then we're going to go play the game. And they, they're like, I don't want to do it. I'm terrified. Right. When I was, oh, yeah. when I was 11, I met going on a canoe trip and standing on a 15 foot cliff over a lake and jumping.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I was terrified, but that was the whole point. Getting yourself yeah. to do something you were terrified to do, but that, you know, you could do and that you weren't going right. to die. Right. Yeah. I do think those, so there are those, those, those experiences of stepping into fear and handling it with resiliency, learning to face fear when yeah. you should be able to overcome it, right? So yeah. so you're that that is you have a strength of mind and perception and judgment yeah. that you can overcome that visceral instinctual fear so as to move yeah. forward in life. Okay. That's a fundamentally important thing. Doesn't matter if you ever learn to play violin. If you don't help your kid with that, you're not doing a great job as a parent. You have to and do And I would that. say too- And oftentimes to, it's going to be the man that's going to do it. Yeah. And oftentimes the wife is going to say, I don't want to be there. I don't want to see it. I don't, <laughs> I, I may not even want to know you're doing it yeah, because yeah, it's yeah. just going to give me gray hairs.
0: So, but it has so, to be done. I, yeah, no. And I would say that everybody that I've heard who's, who's successful at anything, there's obviously that like cliche, like that people are more capable than what they think that they are. They're more capable of doing- hard, difficult things than they think that they're capable of. And so maybe as a parent, you're not even the best. um, Maybe I'm not the best, uh, I don't know, greater or the the best at figuring out how you can, how, what my child's capacity is or what their capability is Mm -hmm. and encouraging them to once in a while, try to step outside of what they think and what other people think they can do. I think that can actually be good because the, because the only person that knows your capacity is God and like, Mm -hmm. that's it. So you could be totally off, you know, you could think that you're only good enough to play, you know, or you're only good enough to like ride the bench on the basketball team when maybe you're good enough to be a starter or something like that. I
1: I, I heard one uh, economist psychologist say that as a parent, you should mainly praise your kids when they use their mind or they use their body. Like they work hard or they think something through. They not mm-hmm. they just you don't just say, Oh, sweetie, you're so smart, but you're like, mm-hmm. I, I loved how you worked that out. How you like figured yeah. out a solution to that problem. Yeah. Especially yeah. when they show intellectual or physical grit or conscientiousness. Yeah. I agree with that. However, I do think the simple, the visceral emotional facing your fear mm-hmm. should be a third one. That like I sorry, so, yeah. I loved how yeah. you worked hard there or sweetie I, man you sure used your mind on that one and you stuck with the problem until you came up with a solution but yeah. also i saw that you were terrified and you you did it anyway yeah because you yeah. wanted to in your mind you wanted yeah. to but you were afraid and you did it great yeah. job does that make sense yeah and i've yeah, seen that i like, think that
0: part of the ultimate goal here that you talked about in this is that i i feel like i want to i want to create help develop kids who are actually kind of looking for a challenge or they're like looking for something that they can solve to a problem that they could solve and, and seeing, okay, what's the problem in this system or in this area or whatever, yeah. I want to help fix it. And that's something that, that they, it can be scary, but if you can, I mean, there's fear in there, but if you can, if you can, I mean, if you can develop that kind of, even like you're, you're kind of have a radar for it um, in your kids, I think that could be good. It might, it might make people mad because they're going to try to be changing things and fixing yeah. stuff, but whatever.
1: Yeah. So one of the things I like about John Roseman's book, um, Parenting by the Book, is he, he talks about how, like, like gra- how grandma used to raise kids. And he's like, there, be, there were three things, three, three goals you want to instill in your kids. Respect for others. That yeah. is to treat yeah. people with justice. Um, and that from that comes self-respect, which is the alternative to self-esteem. Self-respect okay. is, I know how I should behave with other people. And Mm -hmm. I can only regard myself well when I do that. Mm -hmm. That's self-respect. I'm behaving as I should. And therefore, I can Mm -hmm. respect myself. Does that make sense? So it starts with an objective set of criteria that are completely doable. It's like saying please and thank you. They're totally internalizable. They're totally doable. right? It's not like winning the trophy. It's just like treating other people well, not putting yourself first when you shouldn't, all those sorts of things. And then when you do that, you can respect yourself. That's different than self-esteem. When self-esteem isn't understood very, 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 very narrowly and rightly. Okay. The second is responsibility. They have a willingness yeah. to take on responsibilities and to do duties that they should do. Mm-hmm. And third is resourcefulness. They have grit and conscientiousness and they focus on finding solutions. They're creative in trying to figure out how to get something done. And they yeah. want to overcome obstacles. And even they like yeah. obstacles to overcome. Well,
0: what if you are can create ways a kid how- that has
1: those three things, you could I mean yeah. that kid is ready to be released into the world and they'll do great too.
0: How do you, how do you, um, I think one of the issues I think Christians have in general with, with raising kids and just in general is creativity in just being creative at all. Um, how do you, how do you cultivate that in your kid? How do you like actually encourage creativity? Cause I was talking about this with Andrea and, and I'm always like, uh, if my kids like I would love for my kids to play basketball I love basketball myself mm-hmm. but I know how terrible it is when a dad tries to live their basketball dream through their kid so yeah. I don't want that I don't and I would love for them to play sports I like sports I like all different sports but if I have a kid who wants to be in music and, and, and be a musician or they want to be in plays and they want to act I'm totally cool with that the only yeah. question that I have is in a lot of these more uh, creative and I would say, uh, with creativity comes more liberally progressive-minded people who are running the the scenes in those areas. You get really bad influences like growing up like I was in some musical I I was in a a play at the Overture Center I was in uh, a Christmas Carol I was into all these plays and stuff when I was younger and I was actually an acapella group in high school so I I did music I did sports I did it all but Mm -hmm. I I realized in high school I got to a certain point with with the music stuff where the kids all this gender sexuality all that Mm -hmm. stuff started to become super prominent in just that group of people and not the sports kids and not everything else and so I stopped with all that because I was like these people, and and then there's you know psychedelics, hard drugs. They start to go into some really really crazy areas. Where like my, my friends in sports, yeah, they like would get drunk, but mm-hmm. they weren't taking acid. So I was like, yeah. you know, people who are creative, do you, what do by, do?
1: people who are creative by temperament <clears throat> just tend to be a lot higher in what people call trait openness. You know, they yeah, just
0: yeah, they just yeah. don't
1: believe rules or the or the way things are like is of any consequence in a lot of ways, you know, they're just like, whatever, yeah, try yeah. this, you know? And yeah. so it, it's, um, uh, before the transgender thing was kind of like a big thing, homosexuality yeah. obviously was like much, much more, um, both accepted and, um, and popular encouraged in that group. Yeah. And I don't think yeah. it was just because actors were more okay with gayness. I think that there is a correlation between the kind of people drawn to those things and yeah. the kind of tray openness and sensitivity And like drivenness and some of the things that make a good actor.
0: There's an obsession with these guys to break the rules. You think about Christopher Nolan as a director. Yeah. Yeah. He like, he wants to break, he doesn't want to use CGI. He wants to do everything for real. He wants to break the rules. He doesn't want to do what everybody else is doing. Yeah. And these guys kind of have that. Yeah.
1: But there's a lot of professions where obsessiveness is a, is important for high levels of success, yeah. Um, yeah not I just see. in acting. I think acting. There's a lot of openness in the artistic and right. creative temperament, and that tends to lead towards people who are more sexually promiscuous, more sexually yeah. exploratory, and and also and really
0: involved in drugs and stuff too.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, all the things that a more quote open person would be willing yeah. to do, right? Which
0: is just so basically anything. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it also tends to make tends to make sense of people people being more liberal politically, right? Because it, so, how it, do you
0: encourage your kids in that?
1: um I don't. I mean, I don't How know. How do you say? say that.
0: That? I mean, I, oh, right. I think
1: I, I, there are ways I, I think you'd encourage your kid if they go into any realm of human endeavor where Christ isn't honored. But I think that I think that you, I think the best way is you have to look at the thing that is a good mm-hmm. and you need to have, to see encourage. what that is and be that. So, like, you know, it's no good yeah. to say, well, creat- creativity stupid. No, there, there has yeah. to be a Christ honoring creativity before you can say this creativity isn't what it could be. Yeah, and, no. Part of me wants my
0: kids. Way. Part of me would love for my kids to become like actors and directors and 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 mm-hmm. write novels and po- poets because Christian, like Christian good Christian versions of these things because Christians suck at them. The mm-hmm. other part of me is terrified of that because you could be giving your kids to the wolves and they could become crack addict nuts i mean they could become you know non-binary crack addicts by the age of like 17 so y- yeah. like it's it's it, i've i've andrew and i've just talked about these things and it's like my, my bent is obviously like in some ways probably it, like a lot of christians is towards the safer route just play sports and just do these things that we know are safe yeah but, but if christians i'm not aren't sure that
1: sports is all that much safer i mean i think that there's moral hazard it, there's in a, a lot of bad things we do bad. you know yeah, there's so, a okay, bad crap. Let's jump into like the, the first season Infants. of life. So the, yep. so the, I'm, I'm going to break this down the way John Roseman breaks it down in Parenting by the Book, just because it's very simple. It's easily memorized. And I think it's I think it's predominantly accurate. You might be able to break this down a little bit more, but I think these four categories are the most helpful. The first is what you might call infancy or the season of service. This is like zero to like two-ish years old, two, two and a half. Um, this is pre-quote terrible twos, Okay. And basically like kids are helpless. They're in a very confusing world. Um, They're formatting their attachments and their trusts. And um, the child needs to know that he belongs, that people love him. He's taken care of. And your main goal is to keep the kid alive, keep them from being hurt, show them love, help them feel safe. And here's what you need to realize. That is exactly what the child needs to be a healthy adult. And you are creating a monster you're going to yeah. have to deal with when they turn two and a half or three. You're doing yeah, both. I was, that's why the terrible twos, that's why the quote terrible twos should happen.
2: Yeah. Because
1: you want the kid to feel nurtured enough for him to come to the misunderstanding that everything exists to serve him yeah. in a way. Right now there's ways that you can make it less bad. Like you can, you can get him to like, Give him like little responsibilities and teach him how to dress himself and then insist that he dresses on himself. Or like when he's ready to be potty trained, get him to potty train. Be like, no, it's your responsibility to be potty trained. You need to do this. And like there's certain things that you can do to like just give little responsibilities, have them do little things for themselves and start saying to Uh your kid, I don't do anything for my children that they can do for themselves.
0: It's funny you have written in here 7B, start uh, small limitations of access, make him wait before she responds. (laughs) what is that yeah
1: yeah, yeah. so like, Wait, you, like, make, once your make, like walk it, sometimes when your kid can walk they'll walk up to you and just put their arms up, and expect you to pick them up immediately um yeah if you're if like your wife is talking to you in the kitchen what will happen is your kid will come in turn their back to you face mom and make some kind of noise and put their arms up for mom to pick him up because she yeah, wants okay. to stop her from giving attention to you and get the attention himself right yeah. now she might pick him up and hold him kind of on one side and keep talking to you and then yeah. what he'll do is he'll do something else to get her attention. No stopping attention sure. Dad. Pay attention to me. At that point, she puts him back down on the ground. Yeah. Right. Or something like that. There are certain like, or like you're sitting on the couch talking to your wife and your kid just comes up and disrupts and you and your wife says, um, Titus, um, mommy's talking to daddy right now. You're going to have to wait a mm-hmm. little bit, but then if he's two, let's say you don't wait to make you don't make him wait six minutes. You make him wait about 12 seconds. Because that feels like an eternity to that kid, right? So you finish a couple of sentences and then like the dad – usually I think the dad is probably the one to do it. But it doesn't – some some parent tries to get said, Titus, what do you need or what's going on? Yeah. Right? So there's certain like limitations like that. Teaching them to teach kids to put away their toys as early as possible. Yeah. As early as possible. We don't leave messes. We clean up messes
0: i didn't I didn't get that training I don't think yeah. I got that training growing up but yeah, um, so, th-
1: so there's ways that you can keep the three year old monster from being really terrible, yeah. but you kind of do want to create the two year old monster a little bit because you want them to feel really loved secure, like you are serving yeah. their needs because you are they will yeah. inevitably come to the misunderstanding that you are therefore their servant, and when you enter the next no phase, matter you, what you ha- yeah you have you to have disabuse to them of that notion.
0: One thing I've written in here is that mothers tend to take the massive and key role here out of necessity. This means that a dad will seem like the parenting aid for a season. Yeah. Um, I I've felt like this, and this, I'm, I'm going to continue to feel like it for sure, but that like, because I, I don't know if you heard this after you had your first kids and stuff, but like people will always be like, it's just such that it's so magical and amazing. And you just like, you love the kid to death and all this stuff. I was like, I get that. And I'm like, it was really cool. The birth, like watching him give birth, but now one month in, and I do love him a lot, mm-hmm. but I don't know anything about it. i am just kind of like, he just poops and like throws up on me. And then he like gets mad at me. And like, that's about mm-hmm. it. Like he gets mad at me when he doesn't get what he wants. So, yeah. I, I love him. I, I want to take care of him and everything like that, right. but I think Andrea is way better at making sure that he like is cared for and nurtured. Where yeah. I'm like I'm going to hold him to get him to sleep so I can put him away so I can read my book. She's just going to hold I him because she wants to hold him and be with him. And um mm. and I was talking to John Stakatski about this and he was like he also he was like, "Yeah, I didn't he, he's like I didn't feel all these things that some of these guys talk about feeling." Um one, is that bad that you don't feel that as a dad? And two, um, for, for, for men, like what are ways that they can, obviously they're not going to be the, the most tender caregiving person because that's yeah. just not how men are, but what are ways that they can actually try to engage with that in certain ways rather than, you know, not just being bored with the kid who poops and, and, and mm-hmm. cries.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that, um, one is just, you need you, men are often thinking about the future of the other things they want to be doing rather than the thing they are doing. And that is a bad spiritual discipline. And so focusing on being with your kid when you're with your kid is an important discipline to start building when they, they're not paying attention enough yet. Cause it's not going to be very long before your kid knows whether or not you're paying attention when you're with them.
0: That's true. That's true. And
1: so I would, I would say, look at his little face, look at his little nose, look at his little hairs and like, think about like what a gift he is and like engage in the spiritual discipline and ritual. Yeah. He's, doing that. he's
0: like lost all of his hair. It's funny. Oh, that's funny. Looks, yeah, yeah.
1: So I think that's important. I also think an important point here is, is that there's a lot of women that report that their husbands were not, didn't seem at all interested really in their children until their children were about two years old.
2: Yeah. And that's
1: partly because men don't have much of a role. Yeah. And, and I say that I don't mean men don't do stuff. What I mean is
0: yeah.
1: the, the, the particularly masculine oriented additions to parenting ramp up around two years old. Where the guy goes, oh, I have something I can do here that I might be able to do even better than her. Up until about two years old, almost anything that you do with a kid, if the the mom is emotionally capable, right? Yeah. uh, The woman can do better than the man. The man can do it and the man should do a bunch of it. But the woman does it better. And usually the kid likes it better when she does it. After two, that changes. And that's one of the reasons why women cannot get settled in them being the primary parent and the dad being the parenting aid. You want to get out of that as soon as possible. It is a reality in most cases up until two years old, but you want to get out of that as soon as possible.
0: One, I mean, I, I think back to my childhood and like, obviously, I've, I don't remember stuff that happened from zero to two, but I assume that my, like, like yeah, baby like needs their mother. It's not like they they need they look up to their mother. They need their mother mother at that age to breastfeed and to, to do all these things. And like yeah, when I hit two, three, four years old, then it, I was very influenced by my dad. Like I looked up to him, and obviously because mm-hmm. I was a little boy, and that's mm-hmm. probably different for little girls and little boys. But I and for our son, like I I I suspect that when he gets that two, three, four years old, he's gonna. I think he'll start to recognize the differences between maybe, maybe not. He'll recognize mm-hmm. difference between, oh, dad's like me, he's a boy, he's a man, and mom's not like me in that way, and, like, and I think it's healthy for kids, young kids to start to be like, okay, I want to be like dad in this way, right? I mean, yeah. is that when that starts to happen at that age? And that's why they yeah, take. I think you, so. men feel like they can take more interest in them.
1: Yeah. I also think kids. that men just feel that I, mean, I do, I do agree with that. There is certain, a certain amount truth to it. Yeah. Um, especially when kids start to become conscious of the difference between gender and who's who yeah. and which one am yeah. I like and all that. But I think there's also the issue of just like men are just at a disadvantage in mm-hmm. the, the relationship with their kid. Cause the, the kid grew in the woman's uterus yeah. has nursed from her body. Like she's had like literally months and months and months of, of advantageous Interaction with the child. Plus, her skin is fifty percent softer, and like she has a more dulcet tone coming out of her mouth. In terms of her voice, she tends to be more attentive and attuned to what the child mm-hmm. needs. There's all these feminine advantages relative to very early yeah. nurturing, and so men just kind of quit.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know,
1: they just like, well, you know, I I can't do that. So, and the kid doesn't even want me. So, who cares? And the answer is, you got to get in there, buddy. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, with, once that kids get into like earlier, like doing stuff to make the kid laugh. Doing stuff that's different than nurturing, but that's still interesting to the child. That's engaging them. Right. Um, you just got to do it. Reading, reading little stories to them so they can slowly learn language. Yeah, you just got to get oh, in yeah. there. And when you do, kids will warm up to you, and you can be and that and that bonding is really important and pays dividends later. So I, I would say, yeah, you know, guys, try to get in there as much as you can. But once that kid gets to like that terrible twos, where you have to get into the par- transition to the second stage. Yeah. That wife needs to intentionally step out of this, like, main, I'm the main parent and the dad is the parenting aid. To, uh-huh. Now, to the extent to which that's necessary, and it's almost always the case, even people who philosophically don't believe in it, um, it, it needs to change. Otherwise, a wife is going to be increasingly adversarial towards her husband and vice versa. He'll yeah. be more adversarial towards her, and she'll just get more and more tired and frustrated and resentful yeah. that the dad just isn't
0: being a well, the, significant the, the, player. The wife needs to step out and, and the husband needs to step in. I mean, like I think a lot of men, pro- maybe the younger people my generation, millennials, have a hard time actually taking the initiative and the authority to step in and actually do that, which is probably why a lot of mothers end up taking this whole, taking the whole operation over.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things Roseman talks about in his book is that this transition between stage one and stage two is the biggest problem in modern parenting because the other transitions are not as difficult to sort out. Between genders. No, between stages. Oh. So uh, so let let me go through the four stages. So there's zero to two. Yeah. That's the service stage, right? Infants, and then there's yeah. the the season of authority and leadership, which is about about two two and a half years old to eight, to about thirteen. Okay that that time period of childhood, that's mostly pre adolescence, is where you are establishing yourself as an authority and teaching yeah. your kid a certain curriculum under your leadership as a parent. You're making them a disciple of you. Then from about thirteen ish to about twenty one ish, you're You're mentoring your kid. Okay, They've they've received essentially their moral training and now you're teaching them adult skills. You're there for them. You're giving them advice that's sometimes unsolicited, but they are emancipating themselves. They're becoming more responsible for themselves. Right. Yeah. And then after 21, essentially it's a relationship of friendship. Right. They ask for advice when they want it. You may not volunteer it. And like, it's, that's just a different relationship now. So therefore, because there's four seasons, there's three transitions. And Roseman argues that the first transition is the most difficult and the one that, that mo- a lot of modern parents don't make, especially mothers. And It's the hardest for mothers because, A, it's moving from, from everything being in the wheelhouse of their skill set to moving in a very different direction because going from nurturing being the main goal to establishing authority and disciplining being one of the main functions Mm -hmm. is like is like a huge flip and the dad really has to get in there and she has to be kind of a different person and Mm -hmm. and fundamentally change her relationship with her child which she may not want yeah she may really love nurturing this kid especially if she only has a couple kids you know right and she has enough emotional ability to like really give them both once you have six or six kids you know you don't necessarily feel that way but early on you do right so that's a big transition but if you don't you stay in this role of your kid's servant and then the dad can't establish authority because mm-hmm. it's being undermined by the woman. So, uh, so the, what most dads will do to cope with that is they'll become their kid's buddy. Mm. And so the parents, instead of being a mother and a father who are disciplined, benevolent dictators that are not to be trifled with, but who love you and are helping you grow as their disciple. Instead, you've got a servant and a buddy yeah. who you don't listen to. You don't do what they say. You don't want to be like them. You don't respect them. Right you won't take on responsibilities that they tell you they should and and you behave disrespectfully rather it's, than it's, dictator it's a
0: would you say rather than dictator would like 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 a king like David be a better way to put it? I feel like David loved his people well, I, the reason like the reason I said people.
1: benevolent dictator benevolent means for yeah. the good of the person being ruled. Right? Isn't that an oxymoron? But the the or root, of, the root of dictator is to dictate. That that is what yeah, I yeah, say goes. Yeah. I, yeah. And in
2: right.
1: that sense, if as a parent you do not become a dictator, that mm-hmm. is the one who dictates. Yeah. Then you don't have yeah. authority. You aren't. You right. are, You are not. Right. You are not running a disciplined household, and people are not becoming your f- disciple.
0: Few benevolent dictators throughout human history.
1: Correct. Okay. Which is why parental holiness is so freaking important. Yeah. That's why you have to grow in your relationship with God. You have to grow to godliness. You have to repent of your sins and pursue righteousness because yeah. essentially whatever parenting model you use, you're just reproducing yourself. Ultimately yeah. you're, you're offering yourself to your child and your child is either going to emulate you or be the opposite of you. But almost everything they do is in reaction to you. Right? Like I was talking to, I was sitting at a table at a conference one time with all Roman Catholics, except myself. And they were joking about – I think they thought I was Roman Catholic about all these Protestants and atheists. And they're like they're all still just reacting to the Catholicism of their youth, Whether they, no matter what. It's, they're still just reacting to the church, the Catholic church. And in some ways, like that's true of kids. Most of what they do until – oftentimes they get into like sometimes their 30s. They're either saying – they're either huh. becoming like you or they want to be different than you. But they're still responding to you as a parent. And so that's why who you are as a person is always going to be more important than your parenting model. Interesting. And Roseman in the book actually says, even though he says there's a a lot of biblical guidelines to parenting, he's like, listen, um, if you get the attitude, the nature of parenting right, almost any way you do it is going to work. Yeah. And that's why in this this second season, he doesn't say you've got to do this or that exact thing. He's like, what you have to do is you have to establish authority. Yeah, They have to consent to parental governance and become, instead of rebellious, they have to become willing disciples of you as a parent. Uh They have to internalize the parent's discipline and gradually develop their own self-restraint so they don't need parental discipline, which includes punishment. And we're parenting kids for self-government, not self-determination. Which means my main goal is not to try to make my, my kids super creative and to do whatever they want to follow their heart. Yeah. but to learn to govern themselves so that they can be just towards other people uh-huh. and in that pursue S- the good. Uh,
0: one thing you have written in here is that toddlers need to be socialized. They're incredibly antisocial. Yes. Okay. So we were talking, Andrea and I were talking with Sam Crabtree. He's been on this podcast before. For people who don't know him, he was uh, John Piper's executive pastor for 20 years uh, in, in the twin cities here at Bethlehem Baptist church we were talking to him about parenting and all these different things and mm-hmm. homeschooling compared to, you know, public school teaching or going to public school or government schools. Mm-hmm. And people will argue for going to government schools. They'll say, well, we're going to, we need to socialize our kid. That's how you socialize them. And Sam Crabtree I, was like, he was like, that's not how you socialize your kid. He's like, you, you bring your kid around adults, people who you want them to be like, or or, or responsible mm-hmm. kids. Like, like if you want to socialize your, if you want your kid to be like anti-social, you send them to the public schools in a lot of ways. Like the, the, it's a bunch of like crazy idiot kids doing crazy stuff all day, influencing your kid. That's not how you socialize them. And it's interesting when we have conversations with young people our age, there's just this blatant assumption that the way you socialize a kid is putting them around other kids. And I don't, yeah. I, I I agree with Sam Crouchy in the sense that like, I don't, I think the majority, if you want to socialize your kid in a good way, you put them around, well, godly people, but you also put them around adults who, who can challenge their, who are kind of higher level than that. They have to kind of observe and, and, and watch and become like them. Um, But that's, is that, is that what you mean by being socialized? Yeah. Okay. So I don't like
1: to agree with Hillary Clinton. Um, yeah. But the, the fake African proverb that says it, it takes a village to raise a child, it, it doesn't take a village to raise a child, but every child is raised in some sense in a, quote, village in or it, tribe, village. right? Like we're, yeah. we, we all – it is important, I think, for kids to connect with human beings beyond just their parents. And so the question is what social group – to, because, because kids have to go, okay, my parents are like this, but what is everybody else like? So like when kids go to adolescence, yeah. they go into differentiation, which means how am I like my parents, but how am I also different from my parents, right? I, I know yeah. I'm connected to my parents because I bonded with right. them, but now how am I different as I move out towards my right. peers and other people? And so the question is, well, when they meet, what peers are they going to meet that huh. they use as the model by which they differentiate from their parents? And if you're in a public school system that is like the world – in the cults in the broader culture that you're in, the differentiating models that they have are these other kids at school. And yeah. some of those ways that they would then differentiate from you can be incredibly ungodly or antisocial or untruthful or whatever.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: And so I think whether or not kids should go to public school has to, in some sense, relate to the secondary culture in which you exist. So mm-hmm. I think there was a time where America was Christ haunted enough that our morality was compatible with the Bible in ways that made the public school, not nearly as acidic to faith and good development as it is now. I think wait, now that there, wait, there How isn't far just,
0: back are you going? Like the forties?
1: Well, no, I mean, I felt like I didn't feel like my teachers and my experience in school was trying to undermine my faith. I was around people who didn't believe what I believed, including teachers
0: but, but they weren't there, there active, wasn't yeah, a
1: significant active. political agenda. I couldn't yeah. tell you who most of my teachers voted for, for example. And oh, it was considered part of professionalism to make sure to I couldn't know. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was how it was when I first started and probably till I was in middle school. I mean, there was I loved mm-hmm. my teachers growing up when I was younger, second grade, third grade teachers. Yeah. Were great. Well,
1: but part of the reason that was considered professional is let's say you're a teacher and you're a like died in the wool Democrat. Like how, what's your relationship with your Republican students going to be like if their parents are Republicans, they're from a Republican family. And then you're just so obvious you hate anybody who's not a Democrat and they're your student, right? Like- and right. then that same teacher will say, like, can you imagine how kids of color feel in classes like ours? It's like, well, what do you think your Republican students feel like? You know, like yeah, you're alienating right. kids. And so you're supposed to be generic enough as a teacher that you're not inherently alienating your students, no matter who they yeah. are. You know, or recognizing
0: so that you're even if a kid says they're a Republican or a Democrat, they're like eight years old and they don't really understand what that is. Right. Means. So, so when like, I
1: when I taught in the yeah. public school, if um, a kid came out and said something like Republican or religious or non-religious or whatever, and everybody yeah. started attacking them. I defended them. It didn't matter what their view was. Yeah. I would like say, okay, well, let's listen to what so-and-so is saying. And, you know, they, I think there's strong ways to make this argument. And, you know, this is something we could consider. And, you know, and sometimes you, stuff you I totally disagreed schools? with. Yeah. I have an undergrad in, in secondary education. So I had to student teach. So and, I, at student like taught, I student taught social studies in high school. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and wow. I did a lot of substitute teaching when I was a youth pastor so I could get inside the public schools and spend time with students and get to know students. Huh. And, um, yeah, yeah, but it was so, I I mean, it was super clear. I did not want to work there for me. I I think I would have, if I felt called to it though, I would have done it. Right. I think it's, I think it's noble for Christians to be teaching in the public system. I don't think that that means that all Christian kids should be going to the public system.
0: Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't we, we, we don't have to get into that super much. I'll just say, no. I think it was noble. I don't think it is noble anymore. I don't think you can do it in clear conscience, biblically anymore with the curricula, curriculum that they're having you teach um, without yeah, getting okay. fired. Another podcast,
1: okay. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So so, so so, the
0: second phase of
1: 13 to 21, you have to move from being your kid's servant to being their their like leader. You are discipling them. And they have to learn that you love them. But yeah. but it, the, one of the ways that Roseman puts it this way is every kid will believe one of two propositions. My parent exists to listen to me or I oh, exist, oh, to, listen exist to, to listen to my, to my parent. To right. And um, the way he says this is you talk to parents and they're like, my kid won't listen. I have to like I have to like, go find them in the house to get them to come to me. I have to get in their face and tell them really slowly to do things, right? Um, those are kids who believe that their parents exist to listen to them. Like I remember when my kids were younger, I would call their name. They wouldn't come. I would go find them. I say, hey, I was calling you. And they're like, oh, I didn't know you wanted me. And I was like, listen, it is not my job to attend to your voice. It is yours to attend to mine. It's your job to hear me when I call you. Uh. If, my, if my voice is at all audible and for you to stop what you're doing and immediately
0: come to find what I want.
1: Huh. And if you don't do that, you are directly disobeying me as a parent.
0: Did they get, did they not like that? They probably didn't like that.
1: Well, they didn't love it at first, but they just, they didn't necessarily know. They didn't I mean, like, it, right? yeah. one of the things that's important to recognize with parenting though, too, is especially in this phase from three to 13 is kids um, often um, do a lot of lying. Almost every kid yeah. has a lying phase. Oh yeah. And kids will, kids, if you let them, if you don't call their bluffs and be like, you're lying, they just, they will keep lying. Like Dude, you have, I, you, you I have was... to fight a, a lying battle in this phase. Usually pretty early on, usually somewhere between five and seven
0: ish. Yeah. And it's stupid. They lie about stupid things. When I was a kid, we, we were, I was in my older brother's bedroom and there was a piece of candy that was behind his door. That probably was there for like, for like months. It was probably disgusting. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted it really bad because, you know, it's candy. It's candy and right. so my t- said to my mom, I'm going to, uh, can I have this candy? She's like, no, you can't have that candy. That's you're not eating that. This is gross. And so she left the room to go grab something and I ate it
2: mm-hmm.
0: and thinking that she's not going to figure this out, which is so right. stupid. <laughs> and she goes, wait, she's like, Andy, where's the candy? And I was like, I don't know. I like, I don't know where it is. Obviously she called me on it and I got in trouble, but it, it's like, like obviously when you look back at, it, I'm like what was it I was not thinking through that it was not a good lie right. even like it, like the candy was yeah. there now it's gone there was only one other person in the room right. it was obviously me so yeah, it's, yeah, and, yeah so and, it, and so yeah. it's
1: critical as a parent and it, I don't I don't mean by get after it like come down really hard on the kid what I mean is yeah, address yeah, yeah. it right then because right. if you wait until the lies are more subtle and you're not 100% yeah. sure if they're telling the truth or not, it's so right. much harder to parent lying then. But like you, you, you start with when kids are saying that when they're really young, you're like, sweetie, that's not true. I know, I know what you're saying is not true. I know yeah. you ate the candy, right? right. And then right. as they understand the difference between telling something that's true or false, I still think the best way to parent that is your kid lies to you and you say, listen here's the problem. I'm going to punish you right now, but here's the bigger mm. punishment is this. I don't, I don't believe you now when you talk mm. for some yeah. period of time, when you say something and you want me to believe you, I'm just going to assume you're lying to me because you don't tell the truth all the time. And so then for like a month, sometimes just a couple of weeks for younger kids, if they can understand it pretty young, sometimes just a few days, they say something, yeah. and you're like, listen, sweetie, I'm sorry, but I can't believe you because you don't always tell the truth.
0: Gosh, I can you imagine know? that being like, it's super effective. Oh, it feels devastating kid. to a kid. Yeah. That like you, yeah. you
1: just lost something. Like all of a sudden you have yeah. learned to speak. You've learned to like yeah. express yourself. And all yeah. of a sudden another person's like, look, I, nobody believes. I, yeah. The, the person I love you, you but I can't most. believe yeah. what you say. And wow, you, you yeah. say it like, it's a tragedy. You don't like come like super, yeah. like you're super angry. You're angry when you, they lie. They get a You're certain almost, kind of like,
0: discipline. You almost sound conflicted. You're like, I want yeah. to believe you, but I, I just love you. Yeah.
1: No, you literally yeah. do. You're like, I love you so much. and I want to believe what you say. And hopefully soon yeah. you'll be the kind of person who always tells the truth. But right now what I've learned is, is that you don't always tell the truth. And then the kid will go, well, yeah. I will, daddy. I will. And I'll be like, well, listen, <laughs> the truth being believed is something you earn.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So You, you got to prove it. it in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. You, earn you
1: don't it. have to yeah. earn my love, but you do have right. to earn my trust. Yeah, because yeah. and particularly because you broke my trust,
0: right? And and and, and they
1: have to learn yeah. that if you don't teach your kid that, they'll be a liar,
0: and they're going to get involved in a bunch of crappy relationships where nobody's going to be able to trust anybody, yeah. and it's going to be a mess. Yeah, and it's important yeah. for them to recognize that healthy people are able that need to be able to recognize a liar, right. and and in kind of. Yeah. Yeah, but also,
1: I mean, that makes it so much difference because so, later on people are going to tell them the truth doesn't really matter anyway. What is truth? I mean, yeah, if you yeah, don't start yeah. them off with it, that the truth matters. Yeah. right? And also, they've got to believe that you tell them the truth.
0: And that there's an objective reality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to move move into the next phase that this more uh, adolescent, or do you yeah. want to keep talking about? Yeah. So, just to be
1: clear about the goals in phase two. So, phase two, that season of authority leadership from two to thirteen. Your goals are that the kids have to consent to the parental government, right? Yeah. They need to internalize the discipline and grow in self restraint, and they need to grow in self governance before they consider self determination. Let There's me just one more. Like, self determination is good. But self-governance has to precede it. You have to create yeah. a moral being before you can create a being that like makes their own decisions. Otherwise, can they won't I, be a good I, steward.
0: Mm-hmm. Another question of this section of this age group. This seems to be the age group where kids start to recognize the things that they're interested in and the things that they're not interested in. For instance, for, I mean, I, I, use sports as an example, cause that's big in our culture, mm-hmm. you know, like, at, you know, by the time I was t- 10, I was like, I want to play basketball. Like, that's what I want to do. That's all I want to do is play basketball. And so, um, how this is age and like parents can become crazy about that type of stuff. Um, trying to live vicariously through their kids, putting their kids up on a pedestal, even though they suck at something like, like how do you, um, as, as a parent, how do you cultivate, okay, my kid's interested in something, this is really good. And I want them to be interested in this thing. Um, one, and and one, not push them out of it by being overbearing, um, but holding them. You know, my parents were always like, if you start something, you have to finish it. That was one of the ways, like if, if we started a sport and we did, we realized we didn't like it. No, you got to finish the whole season. You owe it to yeah. your teammates, you owe it to your coach. Yeah. I thought it was a really good thing um, for, for us because yeah. one, we, we had to think critically before we started the next thing right. to figure out if we really wanted to do it. But two, it showed us that your teammates and your coaches and the people around you are actually more important than than what you just want to do right now, right? Um, right. So, I think I think it's uh, to make a quick point on that, Andy.
1: Yeah. Um, that you force your kid to stay with it for a specific period of time. So it's not like you had to play basketball yeah. the rest of your life. It's you had no. to finish yeah. the season because your team counted right. you and so on. Right. I think that's key. Yeah.
0: yeah. Right. Right. And so how how can parents not? I mean, I just – I have so many bad situations with dads in sports that are just crazy, and their kids maybe start out with a love for football or basketball, and they just – by the time they hit 15 or 16, they hate that sport because their dad is just – and it sucks because you're like, one, this could be a good athlete, two – why would like you want your kids to like things that are good for them? <laughs> like, I, like that doesn't. Why would you ruin that? So, and and for me as as the way that I am, obviously I'm going to have a hard time with this with my kids to not to not uh, be so like, oh, you need to be great at this thing, you know, to to allow them to just enjoy something even if they're not good at it and stuff like that. So, how can parents? Learn how to cultivate their kids' interests in a healthy, good way. Um, our society has yeah. done a terrible job at this, so I have no, yeah, I have no I agree. framework.
1: So, okay, so there is a few things I would say. The first is, is give up all of your dreams about what your kid is going to get from this. So, your kid isn't going to play basketball in college. You don't even want them mm. to play basketball in college. They're certainly not going to be the NBA and so on. Mm. Um, your kid's not going to play in the Philharmonic. You are like, if if something happens with your kid that's quote big, it's going to be a surprise. Yeah. Now, yeah. listen. I know there's some dads out there. They're like, "Look, my daughter's five seven. I know she can get a golf scholarship because there's scholarships all over the country that aren't taken. Wh- whatever. I, I still, I would say, don't think that way.
0: That would even mean that that's not that big, because right, right. You
1: know. so like, so, <laughs> so. there, so most of the people I know where they're like their kid played D one, whatever. It's like, yeah, it's something. It just, it just showed. Like their kid played the sport. Yeah. It just showed. Yeah. It's not like – I mean the, the, I think that the story of Tiger Woods has ruined a lot of children's lives. Huh. Um, and, and same thing with Serena Williams and her sister that like their dad yeah. kind of like got them going in this sport like super young. And yeah. like – I mean there's lots of dads that did that. And we and get the false positive failed, of the story yeah. of the person who succeeded, right? And oh, yeah. like there there isn't a lot of evidence that Tiger Woods is a particularly emotionally healthy adult either, right? so. Yeah. <laughs> The first thing you have to do is just get rid of all that idea. Yeah. Like I, like in my mind, like, like, so I I have one daughter who could have played a sports in college and I just had to like, not care. Okay. So, okay. Now the second thing what is I sport? read, vo- volleyball. So I have a daughter who, when she was in ninth grade was, there's like, there's a huge volleyball tournament of all the homeschool teams in the whole country that happens once a oh, year. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And she was, she was on the second all American team of that as a freshman. With a team that was terrible at setting her up for volleyball domination, she just had a she has a big vertical. She can hit the ball really hard. She could have been a hitter, but she's five seven five eight. She's like she's not going to play UWD one. You know,
0: is this your oldest or is this? No, it's my second oldest. Oh, okay, okay. And I was so, quite... yeah, she's a, yeah, she's a she's
1: a just powerful, you know, and she's not afraid and she's yeah. confident, you know. But the th- I, I read a story on fishing years ago, like t- getting yeah. kids to fish, because mo- there's a lot of guys that fish, they wish their kids would like it. And they say, he, yeah. they say listen, the, take your kid fishing. And the most important thing is not that you fish. It's just that they have a positive experience. So yeah. if you go to the fishing stream and you're, you, you want to show them how to fish, but they just want to throw rocks in the water for a while, mm. just throw rocks in the water for a while. If they're having yeah. fun being outside and throwing rocks, then just throw rocks. Right, yeah. and I, I noticed that with like when my kids, so when I started teaching Jude how to fish, we would do that. Like, if he wanted to do something different, we just did something different. If he wanted to have snack, I brought snacks. We ate snacks, and yeah. I, I didn't push them to get better. I just tried to have an enjoyable experience with them, so that they liked they liked being with me and they liked doing it. And I wasn't pushing them, and this wasn't another area where they had to perform in their lives. Huh. And I think because of that, like Jude developed a real love for fishing, and my other kids just yeah they just didn't, they don't, that's not, wasn't a thing for them, but my kids have slowly found loves. So I think, um, shutting off the TV, shutting off the tablets, right. I think getting your kids experiences just to try things, see if they like them making deals with your kids. Like, like I, I've told Jude in a number of different hobbies. Look, if you want to do hobby X, I'll put up $350 to buy the stuff you need to start doing it. Um, if you do it, cause I'm, I'm just anything that's not a screen, frankly, at this point in time yeah. with parents, you know, I'm like, let's try it. So I I've spent a considerable amount of money, like buying stuff and things that like
0: I could do with the kids. You, you made money with Jude that he's, he's in, interested in the stock market.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's doing trading.
0: Mm-hmm. But I, the
1: thing yeah. is like, I couldn't have predicted that. I think it's that like he was interested in one thing, and we 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 followed that, and then we, and he was interested in something else, and then ultimately he he wanted to read an economics textbook. So I gave him a super super readable one that I'd found, um, and he read that, and like he slowly nice. got involved in these things, you know. So yeah. I think I think encouraging your kid that there's stuff out there, there's things that are fun, there's things that make a difference, there's things that we have to care about, yeah, and just like encourage that kind of like ex, new experiences, well, and, and doing things so, that you love,
0: right? Even but you've got to uh, do them.
1: You've got to do them at the developmentally appropriate
0: level of the child. Yeah, right? Well, and with the, with the value in mind that, that, you know, especially for men with sports, it's like maybe encourage it because this is something that could help them keep a healthy lifestyle. Uh, mm-hmm. Rather than right. that, you're going to go to the NBA as a you know right. six foot white kid. So
1: yeah, I mean, games are supposed to be fun. Sports are supposed to be fun. Even your passions, yeah. like if you play violin, yeah. you, it should be because you love making music. You
0: love, yeah, right, right, right. You know, and yep. so I'm yeah, all yeah. for
1: kids learning violin at age five or piano or something like that. I think that's great. But yeah, just if just take the some of the pressure off. I, I mean, yeah. And it's listen, it's true. If you ride your kids on some skill. And they get a lot better at it. They will achieve really cool things that will build their right. self confidence. That's that's true. You can do that. You can be a yeah. tiger mom, right? Right. Um, and I'm I'm not here to judge that. Like, I well, I, th- I mean,
0: it's stupid. I, I I will just say it's really bad. I've never met one of those kids who is actually healthy. I mean, the, the, I've never met. I mean, I know these kids. I don't know. I know these kids who are who are just driven into something. And they just are not. They're not. They are really good at one thing, and they suck at everything else. They're just terrible people. Yeah, maybe a little this, bit. This, maybe maybe this. a little bit of an exaggeration. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, I mean, I mean, these kids are like living with their parents, and they're like twenty five. Like I, that's yeah. the ones that I know at least. I'm kind of like,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, some of them are playing first chair violin at Yale too. I mean, that it yeah. is it is true that if you do something for like. Ten thousand hours, and you're really pushed to levels of excellence, If That's you have true. great That's teachers, true. you can yeah. be amazing at things. Yeah. Are there are those lives less less well balanced? Sure, but yeah. there I know a lot of people who are extremely successful in a particular field, partly because of how their parents raised them, who know that they're emotionally unhealthy, and they would be like, I would never make the trade to not be excellent at this thing, so that I can oh. be more emotionally healthy. I like be, they're like I like being a success. I can grow in emotional health now that I'm successful.
0: That's so, true. I, mean, I agree with that. I agree with that too. There's, yeah, I mean, there are some true.
1: trade-offs, but, um, and I think that you probably can pursue certain things with profound excellence and have some emotional health too. I, yeah. you know, I, so I think if, I think if a kid shows aptitude for something early and they love doing it and you have the money and time to pursue it and you're like better this than something else. Like I, right. I know a mom who, for example, um, she wanted to keep her kids out of bad stuff and she, she got them into swimming and one of their kids is really good at swimming and she's invested a ton of time in that. And I'm not sure that that kid is doing like, is super emotionally healthy, but I don't think it's because she's into swimming that she's not, you know, Yeah. but she, I think she could swim in college if she wanted to. And, you know, but, and, and their family That's spent true. a lot of time at swim meets. Yeah. And my, I didn't yeah. decide to do that with my family. Cause I, but it's probably cause I had four children. Yeah. When you have two well, children, we talked about... being in travel sports isn't as crazy. I still yeah, think it's probably yeah. crazy, and I don't wouldn't choose that for myself, and I think it leads to sports idolatry, but some kids love playing sports. Yeah. I but lo- all, when I was yeah. a kid, I loved playing sports, and it was an era where you could play different sports. So I yeah. played like five sports, but I was always playing oh, yeah. sports.
2: I always and I, I thought sports, it was a great yeah. childhood.
1: And I haven't yeah. had a lot of physical problems because of it, and I'm in my 40s, and I don't oh, have a lot of arthritis yeah, yeah. or anything.
0: You didn't but if, football, I in,
1: if I had played in college... Yeah. I think I would.
0: Well, I was going to say you and I have talked about this and, and then, and then we can wrap this up because yep. I think maybe Andrew and I have to go somewhere, but we've talked about, um, this like weird paradox, uh, that I've still tried to think through and how to raise our own kids is like, obviously me growing up. Uh, well, we've talked about I think I've talked about this on the podcast. I don't, my parents don't care, whatever I, I can say, whatever I want. But, um, They were all just, my parents were very, uh, they, they hard on me. I don't know if that's the right word. They just were never proud of us. They just were never proud of me. Like no matter what I did, they just, I just, you know, not enough, not enough, not enough to keep more, 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 you know, you, you you could, I could have become a billionaire and they'd have been like, yeah, well that's too much money or something like that. So, you know, it's just, there's always a problem with it. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. not by, not, not. Yeah, uh, so,
1: so there's a, there's a TED talk, but
0: where we, the guy is talking me, about, sorry, ahead, yeah. Yeah, let me finish. Cause I was going to say, you, you and I, we've talked about this. We've talked to my parents about this. We talked about, and one of the things that you, I think you asked me one time, maybe not, but it was just like, part of that has helped me become who I am. In, in the sense that like, I am strive, always stri- Maybe it's not healthy, but I'm always striving to do something bigger or like something I, more mm-hmm. and like I wouldn't be that way. I don't think I'd be able to like raise you know over twenty grand for a business or to go out and just create my own consulting company and mm-hmm. build a living out of it at twenty three years old. That's better than a lot of college grads. So like I, if I didn't have that upbringing and it's like that was an upbringing filled with with a lot of emotional adversity. And so in some ways I like I don't want to shelter my kids away from that in some ways, but also. Yeah. It, it came with a lot of side effects. I mean, I a lot of negative side effects. So I don't want yeah. to have my kids have those side effects too. And it's this weird paradox that like, if your kids don't experience some of this adversity, even from their parents, they might just become soft and not do anything yeah, worthwhile. But you, if you give them too much of that adversity, they might just go off the deep end and go crazy. And so, you know, that's yeah, just- Yeah,
1: I, I feel like if you try to get parenting quote right, you'll you will drive you insane. Yeah, um, because a lot of whether or not parenting goes right really is in your kids and what with, with choices they make um, I think you can just choose to do wholesome things that are for the good of your child that are as developmentally appropriately as you can mm-hmm. and recognize that there's a balance of love and nurturing and helping them build resiliency and, mm-hmm. and learning how to stress themselves and, and fight for stuff um, but yeah they. I mean um, I think if you were to, able to raise a human being that experienced no traumas in their life I'm not sure that would be good.
0: No, I don't think so. Then Um, you would, they would have lived in like a box, which is a trauma itself. So, so I say, I
1: think sports is a good example of you need to be able to say to your kid, I love watching you play. Hmm. Right. That's from that Ted talk. I was mentioning that like um, kids hate sports because um, we try to make them professionals at a young age. We're completely developmentally inappropriate. We make it not fun and frankly, he said the parents are the people who make it bad. The kids are happy to yeah. just play and have fun. It's the yeah. parents they're yelling they at freaking- the refs and screaming and like telling their kid they could be so much better if they just practiced more and blah blah blah. Dude,
0: blah. they're like, I mean, and they they were talking trash to the players that when I, the tournaments I was going to, mm-hmm. you know, in like Milwaukee and Chicago, you had parents screaming at us on the. We're like 16, you know, That's that was, yeah. yeah, And these are,
1: I mean, at that level, those are probably some of the most extreme parents, but like, I mean, even for myself, like my set, my, like, I don't know, 11 or 12 year old will miss a shot in fifth grade basketball. And I feel disappointed in them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Which is ridiculous. It's like the (laughs) stupidest emotion you could probably imagine. But like I, my kid is an extension of me. My kid just failed publicly. Like, she could have honored me publicly by making this basket. How dare she? You know, it's like, it's like these are very visceral emotions. And at the same time, it's kind of yeah. like, she's just a kid throwing a ball at a metal right. ring. Like what the frick? Like, and so, if you
0: watch fifth grade girls basketball, there's no uh, honoring going on in those no, games. This no. is just horrible. Yeah. No, you
1: but know. if you just, if you like enjoy your kid playing and yeah. you like try to engage in the ups and downs with them, and uh, frankly, the games like on some of those kind of like, this could be boring. By about sixth grade, some of the games are as exciting as the Super Bowl. Because, <laughs> like, you know, all these kids that There's, couldn't, catch, yeah, they couldn't catch a year ago, and now they're <laughs> dribbling and like they, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's like the game. It's so, terrible I mean, it's a basketball. Game winner,
0: yeah. But the reason start, we care,
1: like, the reason yeah. we care about our sports teams is because we feel like we know the stories of the people, and this is yeah, our yeah, quarterback. Yeah. And I mean, these are literally yeah. your kids' classmates. They have been sleepovers at your house, and like you care about them, and you want to see them make the stupid basket. You know. And so yeah. it become it can become really exciting, and you can really rejoice in your kids playing games and in their teammates, and they can really build fast friendships. And sports can be a wonderful program. Yeah, um, like our Christian school has sports, but I give I give a lecture to the coaches and the parents why Christians play sports, and there's like 18 reasons why Christians play sports, and it's not to get college scholarships, and it's not to like live out your dreams mm-hmm. of like having a successful child,
0: you know? Yeah, the vet, yeah your your kid's probably not going to the the league unfortunately but um no
1: no and i remember rachel my second oldest saying i said to her listen you could play volleyball in college there's no question and she's like I think I understand and I don't want to
0: were you talking about like what were you talking like what what division like D three D2? I think she probably could
1: have made D2 but she would have had to play club to do it.
0: Yeah 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 no I mean that may that makes sense mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, all our, I mean, we've talked about like all my kids will play is club. I think the most corrupt sports are within the public school system. They're horrible. The clubs the AAU teams, stuff like that. That's I mean, you can, they're pretty mm-hmm. solid. They can be pretty solid. I mean, yeah, you got to travel to like Chicago and stuff, but I, I, and that's mm-hmm. fun. Um, you get to yeah. play against some of the best players in the country and stuff, but uh, yeah, man, but, I would let, love
1: it. I would love it if some of these schools just got, I mean, this is, I have all kinds of rants on sports that some people who've been yeah. here, I, I think just to, to clarify, so like, So then 13 to 21, you go from being the dictator, like fully in authority Mm -hmm. to you're now trying to you're progressively mentoring Mentoring. your child as they're making more decisions. They're stewarding more of their life. They're in charge of more stuff. Um, For some kids who have a particularly tumultuous 13 year old year, some girls are just basically out of their minds for that year. Like 12, 13, 12,
0: age 12 and a
1: half to 14. There's a bunch of girls that are going through like menstrual transitions and hormonal transitions. And they're just, they just seem like they're going out of their mind.
0: Do you and just like, you just, just got to be there patient for
1: or something? Yeah. Yeah. You got to be patient. Don't know. tell them they're crazy. You can say, I know you're feeling a lot of things right now, but don't be like, you're crazy. Like just, just, they don't need that. Just be like, you just can be like, listen, darling, this is a, this is going to pass. These, like, yeah. these feelings, this, like, all this stuff coming down you all at once, it's going to pass. You're, you're going to be fine.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so, for some kids, there, there's a parenthesis. Like, for my oldest, like, that year was, like, just, like, a parenthesis where, like, nothing really was going on other than just getting her through that year. Yeah. And that's that that's fairly normal for a lot of girls in particular. And scares a You just, gotta be, just have
0: to no idea how to deal with
1: that stuff. it's fine once you realize what's happening for her yeah and that you your your job is to be there for her it's not that right. bad the the biggest yeah. problem in the 13 to 21 age category is you start thinking because your kid is becoming an adult that they mean yeah. what they say and they understand what they're saying and if they say something they believe it in a stable way so if they say i and hate you just, it literally means yeah. they hate you and they're going to keep hating you like yeah. as, a, as a parent, one of my, my biggest mistakes was because I say what I mean and I think what I think, that they're saying what they mean and they think what they think. They have no right. idea what they think, but they think They've they never, know what they think. Yeah, right. So right. they're telling you, I hate you and I'm always going to hate you, but they don't well, even they say know what that means.
0: In- somewhat competent way. I mean, teenagers can sound competent. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely. Absolutely. So I think, I mean, that's a different thing we could have a whole podcast on is just like the emotional maturity of teenagers and how to like, how to deal with, how to not get drawn into their psychology. Parents get drawn into the teenage psychology and they get wrapped up in the drama and anxiety of it. When what the kid needs is for you to be an aloof, like competent, stable, unanxious and loving presence in their life because they're in a storm and they've got mm-hmm. to see that lighthouse out there that's staying in the same place. So they can guide their life because they have nothing else to guide their life on. Even their faith, even if they do believe in Jesus, what they think Jesus is, how they think about Jesus is really unstable. Mm-hmm. And so you still are like this lighthouse for them that they need to be stable. And so I think that that's something we could talk a lot about, a lot more about, but I think that's, yeah that transition into the teenage years of becoming a stable mentor in your kid's life, as opposed to being the dictator is important because if you don't start that transition, then they start rebelling because they know they need more freedom. They know they need to steward their life more. And then you're behind the curve of their emancipation rather than ahead of it. You want to emancipate your kid. You don't want Mm -hmm. them to live in your basement. You want them to learn things and helping them do that is something you can start, like early, like they, like I let my ten year old ride her bike around the block, ride her bike with her friend to the park for an hour. I'm trying to like, I'm more and more like she is competent to do things in the world.
0: Yeah, you know? no, I remember when I was like freshman in high school, and and I'll wrap it up after this, but the there was such there was always this big parade thing in my hometown, and everybody was there. It's like one of the biggest things, and most years when I went to it, it would be my parents, people from the church. Well, when I turned 15, you know, we went to it and I was hanging out with my friends from school and my parents, you know, we all had our bikes and we like bike around town and everything. And I remember biking back home and going inside and my parents were just there. It was like on the weekend. And I was kind of like, came home to get something to eat, but I wanted to go back and hang out with my friends. Mm -hmm. And so I went up to my dad and I was like, am I allowed to go back and hang out with my friends? And he was just like, yeah, like he was just like yeah, I'll go go ahead, like kind of just like didn't even care, which was so weird because I always had to ask before that. But that day, like something changed that day, and now I'm able to. And I we just went and like he probably should have said no because we're a bunch of idiots and we went biked around town and tried to talk to girls all day. But like we like that's what we did and. I just remember sitting there feeling so weird afterwards that he was just like, "Yeah, go ahead, go bike and go bike around town with your friends and hang out with them and play sports." I just felt mm-hmm. so weird. I was like, "Okay, something's changed now." And uh, and so yeah. I mean, I was yeah, 15 and, when and, that
1: happened. And there's so much in our culture now where everything is controlled, everything is supervised. Even if your kids yeah. are in sports, it's incredibly heavily structured and supervised. And yeah. the ability for kids to operate in an unsupervised way is so important for their development and it's just, it, it's just absent from their lives. There's nowhere for them to do it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's yeah. bad.
0: Yeah. You know? Well, no, yeah, we would go all over. I mean, it was a small town. So like there was, you weren't going to get like hit, hit in traffic by a car or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, like that we was were...
1: one of the benefits of growing up in small towns. It's one of the reasons why people yeah. who grow up in small towns, I, in my experience as a pastor tend to be more emotionally stable
0: and oh, I, think I, totally with that. I think it's because I think it's because
1: independent they, kids were allowed to do adventurous outdoor and independent things. Oh uh, yeah. Adults.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I actually, I agree with you um outside of a lot of Wisconsin towns. Cause a lot of towns in Wisconsin yeah. are oh, yeah. incredibly alcoholic. And yes. so that affects everything about the town, but yeah. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. yeah. And it's not, it's not
1: a rule. Like, but I just, I've just been shocked at how many like adults yeah. from Iowa I've bumped yeah. into who are like calm, clear minded. Yeah committed to things super well ordered and they like they grew up on a farm with six siblings
0: yeah you know yeah it was fun we would always bike around town yeah we would we would like make youtube videos and do stuff like that it's just like we felt like the town was kind of our world that we could just go do what we had to do and like our parents would call check in on us but it wasn't anything crazy yeah it it was yeah it was fun um okay so we got to wrap this thing up obviously we probably could have talked more about all these things, but there's just so much to talk about in, in parenting. Um, I
1: I really do recommend the book by John Rosemond called parenting by the book, not because it's the best parenting book out there, but because I think that Christians need a contrarian view to the secular public norms of parenting that like, like, like takes a sledgehammer to the psychological norms. And mm-hmm. then I think you can rehabilitate some of the insights of the psychological norms once the, the superstructure has just been demolished.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you can, you, can take, you can take from secular people what's helpful, but you just need to recognize the, a biblical worldview under your parenting. And I think Roman Suman's book does a good job of that. Okay. Um, and cool. I also think it's a, it's a kind of parenting book that men will stay engaged with because it does honor men as well as women. And yeah. so I think for couples it's it's good. Okay. But it's yeah. not by any means like the only book I recommend.
0: And once again, the I mean, Andrew and I listened through Jordan Peterson's chapter on parenting and we realized yeah, it, that's a great how good chapter. it was. Mm-hmm. Um that's a good one. Uh okay. If you like this podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, share this with your friends. If if you have any questions, I mean further questions about parenting and things like that that aren't too like you know more broader questions general questions maybe maybe we'll we could do another podcast and answer those so send those into uh questions at optive um make sure you like subscribe share this with your friends give us a five-star rating and leave a review and we'll see you guys in the next one goodbye